9. Below the lower lip of the mouth is halfway between the bottom of the nose and the bottom of the chin. The face forms a square in itself, that is its width is from the outer corner of one eye to the other, and its height is from the very top of the nose to the bottom of the lower lip of the mouth, then what remains above and below this square amounts to the height of such another square, is equal to the space between, in the same way too, and likewise, are equal to each other, it is as far between and as from the bottom of the nose to the chin, the ear is exactly as long as the nose, it is as far from to as from the nose to the chin, the parting of the mouth seen in profile slopes to the angle of the jaw, the ear should be as high as from the bottom of the nose to the top of the eyelid, the space between the eyes is equal to the width of an eye, the ear is over the middle of the neck, when seen in profile, the distance from 4 to 5 is equal to that from S to 313, is equal to, footnote, C place VII, number 3. Reference may also be made here to two pen and ink drawings of heads in profile with figured measurements, of which there is no description in the NS. These are given on place XVII. Number 2. A head, to the left, with part of the torso W page 5A. Number 1 on the same plate is from NS. A to be and in the original occurs on a page with wholly irrelevant text on matters of natural history. M.R.A.V.A.I.S.S.O.N. in his edition of the Paris MS. A has reproduced this head and discussed it fully note on page 12, he has however somewhat altered the original measurements. The complicated calculations which MRADISSON has given appear to me in no way justified. The sketch, as we see it, can hardly have been intended for anything more than an experimental attempt to ascertain relative proportions. We do not find that Leonardo made use of circular lines in any other study of the proportions of the human head. At the same time we see that the proportions of this sketch are not in accordance with the rules which he usually observed. See for instance number 310, the head one-six larger than, 315, from the eyebrow to the junction of the lip with the chin, and the angle of the jaw and the upper angle where the ear joins the temple will be a perfect square, and each side by itself is half the head. The hollow of the cheekbone occurs halfway between the tip of the nose and the top of the jawbone which is the lower angle of the setting on of the ear, in the frame here represented, from the angle of the eye socket to the ear is as far as the length of the ear, or the third of the face, footnote, see place ix, the text, in the original is written behind the head, the handwriting would seem to indicate a date earlier than 1480, on the same leaf there is a drawing in red chalk of two horsemen of which only a portion of the upper figure is here visible, the whole leaf measures 20 to 1 to centimeters wide by 29 long, and is numbered 127 in the top right hand corner, 316, from to that is to say from the roots of the hair in front to the top of the head ought to be equal to, that is from the bottom of the nose to the meeting of the lips in the middle of the mouth, from the inner corner of the eye to the top of the head is as far as from down to the chin, are all at equal distances from each other, footnote, the drawing in silver point on bluish tinted paper place X which belongs to this chapter has been partly drawn over in ink by Leonardo himself. 317. From the top of the head to the bottom of the chin is 1-9. And from the roots of the hair to the chin is 1-9 of the distance from the roots of the hair to the ground. The greatest width of the face is equal to the space between the mouth and the roots of the hair and is 1-12 of the whole height. From the top of the ear to the top of the head is equal to the distance from the bottom of the chin to the lacrimatory duct of the eye, and also equal to the distance from the angle of the chin to that of the jaw, that is the, one sixteen of the whole. 
The small cartilage which projects over the opening of the ear towards the nose is halfway between the nape and the eyebrow, the thickness of the neck and profile is equal to the space between the chin and the eyes, and to the space between the chin and the jaw, and it is 118 of the height of the man, 318. A B C D E F G H I K are equal to each other in size excepting that the F is accidental. Proportions of the head seen in front 319, 321, 319. A N O F are equal to the mouth. A C and a F are equal to the space between one eye and the other. An M O F Q R are equal to half the width of the eyelids. That is from the inner lacrimatory corner of the eye to its outer corner, and in like manner the division between the chin and the mouth and in the same way the narrowest part of the nose between the eyes, and these spaces, each in itself, is the nineteenth part of the head, NO is equal to the length of the eye or of the space between the eyes, MC is one three of NM measuring from the outer corner of the eyelids to the leper, BS will be equal to the width of the nostril, 320, the distance between the centers of the pupils of the eyes is one three of the face, the space between the outer corners of the eyes, that is where the eye ends in the eye socket which contains it. Thus the outer corners, is half the face. The greatest width of the face at the line of the eyes is equal to the distance from the roots of the hair in front to the parting of the lips. 321. The nose will make a double square, that is the width of the nose at the nostrils goes twice into the length from the tip of the nose to the eyebrows. And, in the same way, in profile the distance from the extreme side of the nostril where it joins the cheek to the tip of the nose is equal to the width of the nose in front from one nostril to the other. If you divide the whole length of the nose that is from the tip to the insertion of the eyebrows, into four equal parts, you will find that one of these parts extends from the tip of the nostrils to the base of the nose, and the upper division lies between the inner corner of the eye and the insertion of the eyebrows and the two middle parts together are equal to the length of the eye from the inner to the outer corner. Footnote, the two bottom sketches on place VII. Number 4 face the six lines of this section. With regard to the proportions of the head in profile see number 312, 322. The great toe is the sixth part of the foot, taking the measure in profile, on the inside of the foot, from where this toe springs from the ball of the sole of the foot to its tip of beak and it is equal to the distance from the mouth to the bottom of the chin. If you draw the foot in profile from the outside, make the little toe begin at three quarters of the length of the foot, and you will find the same distance from the insertion of this toe as to the farthest prominence of the great toe. 323. For each man respectively the distance between a B is equal to CD 324. Relative proportion of the hand and foot. The foot is as much longer than the hand as the thickness of the arm at the wrist where it is thinnest seen facing. Again, you will find that the foot is as much longer than the hand as the space between the inner angle of the little toe to the last projection of the big toe. If you measure along the length of the foot, the palm of the hand without the fingers goes twice into the length of the foot without the toes. If you hold your hand with the fingers straight out and close together you will find it to be of the same width as the widest part of the foot. That is where it is joined onto the toes, and if you measure from the prominence of the inner ankle to the end of the great toe you will find this measure to be as long as the whole hand. From the top angle of the foot to the insertion of the toes is equal to the hand from wrist joint to the tip of the thumb. The smallest width of the hand is equal to the smallest width of the foot between its joint into the leg and the insertion of the toes. The width of the heel at the lower part is equal to that of the arm where it joins the hand and also to the leg where it is thinnest when viewed in front, the length of the longest toe, 
from its first division from the great toe to its tip is the fourth of the foot from the center of the ankle bone to the tip, and it is equal to the width of the mouth. The distance between the mouth and the chin is equal to that of the knuckles and of the three middle fingers and to the length of their first joints if the hand is spread, and equal to the distance from the joint of the thumb to the outset of the nails, that is the fourth part of the hand and of the face. The space between the extreme poles inside and outside the foot called the ankle or ankle bona B is equal to the space between the mouth and the inner corner of the eye. 325. The foot, from where it is attached to the leg, to the tip of the great toe is as long as the space between the upper part of the chin and the roots of the hair B, and equal to five-sixths of the face. 326. A D is a head's length. CB is a head's length. The four smaller toes are all equally thick from the nail at the top to the bottom, and are one-thirteen of the foot. 327. The whole length of the foot will lie between the elbow and the wrist and between the elbow and the inner angle of the arm towards the breast when the arm is folded. The foot is as long as the whole head of a man. That is from under the chin to the topmost part of the head footnote 2. Nelmoto Chekii Figurato. See place VII. Number 4. The Upper Figure. The text breaks off at the end of line 2 and the text given under number 321 follows below. It may be here remarked that the second sketch on W page 311 has in the original no explanatory text. In the way here figured, proportions of the leg 3 to 8, 331, 328. The greatest thickness of the calf of the leg is at a third of its height B and is a twentieth part thicker than the greatest thickness of the foot. A C is half of the head and equal to db and to the insertion of the five toes efdk diminishes one-sixth in the leg ghgh is one-three of the head, mn increases one-sixth from e and is seven-twelve of the head, op is one-ten less than dk and is six-seventeen of the head, is at half the distance between bq and is one-four of the man, is halfway between and, the concavity of the knee outside is higher than that inside, the half of the whole height of the leg from the foot, is halfway between the prominence and the ground, is halfway between and, the thickness of the thigh seen in front is equal to the greatest width of the face, that is to three of the length from the chin to the top of the head, ZR is five six of seven two, MN is equal to seven and is one four of RBXY goes three times into RB and into RS, AB goes six times into CF and six times into CN and is equal to GH, IKLM goes four times into DF and four times into DN and is three seven of the foot, PQRS goes three times into df and 3 times into bn, xy is 1 8 of xf and is equal to nq 3 7 is 1 9 of nf, 4 5 is 1 10 of nf. I want to know how much a man increases in height by standing on tiptoe and how much pg diminishes by stooping, and how much it increases at nq likewise in bending the foot. EF is 4 times in the distance between the genitals and the sole of the foot, footnote 35, 2 is not to be found in the sketch which renders the passage obscure. The two last lines are plainly legible in the facsimile. 37 is 6 times from 3 to 2 and is equal to GH and IK footnote, the drawing of a leg seen in front place XII. Number 1 belongs to the text from lines 321. The measurements in this section should be compared with the text number 331, lines 113, and the sketch of a leg seen in front on place XV. 329. The length of the foot from the end of the toes to the heel goes twice into that from the heel to the knee. That is where the leg bone fibula joins the thigh bone femur. 330. ND are equal, CND are equal, NC makes two feet, ND makes two feet. 331. MNO are equal. 
the narrowest width of the leg seen in front goes eight times from the sole of the foot to the joint of the knee, and is the same width as the arm, seen in front at the wrist, and as the longest measure of the ear, and as the three chief divisions into which we divide the face, and this measurement goes four times from the wrist joint of the hand to the point of the elbow. The foot is as long as the space from the knee between and, and the patella of the knee is as long as the leg between and. The least thickness of the leg in profile goes six times from the sole of the foot to the knee joint and is the same width as the space between the outer corner of the eye and the opening of the ear, and as the thickest part of the arm seen in profile and between the inner corner of the eye and the insertion of the hair. ABC are all relatively of equal length. CD goes twice from the sole of the foot to the center of the knee and the same from the knee to the hip. ABC are equal, two is two feet that is to say measuring from the heel to the tip of the great toe. Footnote, see place XV. The text of lines 217 is to the left of the front view of the leg, to which it refers. Lines 1827 are in the middle column and refer to the leg seen in profile and turn to the left. On the right hand side of the writing, lines 2030 are above, to the left and apply to the sketch below them. Some farther remarks on the proportion of the leg will be found in number 336. Lines 6, 7, on the central point of the whole body. 332. In kneeling down a man will lose the fourth part of his height. When a man kneels down with his hands folded on his breast the navel will mark half his height and likewise the points of the elbows. Half the height of a man who sits that is from the seat to the top of the head will be where the arms fold below the breast, and below the shoulders. The seated portion that is from the seat to the top of the head will be more than half the man's whole height by the length of the scrotum, the relative proportions of the torso and of the whole figure. 333. The cubic is one-fourth of the height of a man and is equal to the greatest width of the shoulders. From the joint of one shoulder to the other is two faces and is equal to the distance from the top of the breast to the navel. From this point to the genitals is a face's length. The relative proportions of the head and of the torso. 334. From the roots of the hair to the top of the breast of E is the sixth part of the height of a man and this measure is equal. From the outside part of one shoulder to the other is the same distance as from the top of the breast to the navel and this measure goes four times from the sole of the foot to the lower end of the nose. The thickness of the arm where it springs from the shoulder in front goes six times into the space between the two outside edges of the shoulders and three times into the face, and four times into the length of the foot and three into the hand, inside or outside. The relative proportions of the torso and of the leg 335. 336, 335, ABC are equal to each other and to the space from the armpit of the shoulder to the genitals and to the distance from the tip of the fingers of the hand to the joint of the arm, and to the half of the breast, and you must know that CB is the third part of the height of a man from the shoulders to the ground, DEF are equal to each other and equal to the greatest width of the shoulders, 336, top of the chin hip the insertion of the middle finger. The end of the calf of the leg on the inside of the thigh. The end of the swelling of the shin bone of the leg. The smallest thickness of the leg goes three times into the thigh seen in front. The relative proportions of the torso and of the foot. 337. The torso of E in its thinnest part measures a foot, and from two is two feet. Which makes two squares to the seat its thinnest part goes three times into the length. Thus making three squares. The proportions of the whole figure 338, 341. 338. A man when he lies down is reduced to one nine of his height. 339. The opening of the ear. The joint of the shoulder. 
that of the hip and the ankle are in perpendicular lines, and is equal to ML340. From the chin to the roots of the hair is one-ten of the whole figure. From the joint of the palm of the hand to the tip of the longest finger is one-ten. From the chin to the top of the head one-eight, and from the pit of the stomach to the top of the breast is one-six. And from the pit below the breastbone to the top of the head one-four. From the chin to the nostrils one-three part of the face. The same from the nostrils to the brow and from the brow to the roots of the hair. And the foot is one-six. The elbow one-four. The width of the shoulders one-four. 341. The width of the shoulders is one-four of the whole. From the joint of the shoulder to the hand is one-three. From the parting of the lips to below the shoulder blade is one foot. The greatest thickness of a man from the breast to the spine is one-eighth of his height and is equal to the space between the bottom of the chin and the top of the head. The greatest width is at the shoulders and goes for the torso from the front and back. 342. The width of a man under the arms is the same as at the hips. A man's width across the hips is equal to the distance from the top of the hip to the bottom of the buttock. When a man stands equally balanced on both feet, and there is the same distance from the top of the hip to the armpit, the waist, or narrower part above the hips will be halfway between the armpits and the bottom of the buttock. Vitruvius Scheme of Proportions 343. Vitruvius, the architect, says in his work on architecture that the measurements of the human body are distributed by nature as follows, that is that four fingers make one palm, and four palms make one foot, six palms make one cubit, four cubits make a man's height, and four cubits make one pace and twenty-four palms make a man, and these measures he used in his buildings. If you open your legs so much as to decrease your height 114 and spread and raise your arms till your middle fingers touch the level of the top of your head you must know that the center of the outspread limbs will be in the navel and the space between the legs will be an equilateral triangle. The length of a man's outspread arms is equal to his height. From the roots of the hair to the bottom of the chin is the tenth of a man's height, from the bottom of the chin to the top of his head is one-eighth of his height, from the top of the breast to the top of his head will be one-sixth of a man. From the top of the breast to the roots of the hair will be the seventh part of the whole man. From the nipples to the top of the head will be the fourth part of a man. The greatest width of the shoulders contains in itself the fourth part of the man. From the elbow to the tip of the hand will be the fifth part of a man, and from the elbow to the angle of the armpit will be the eighth part of the man. The whole hand will be the tenth part of the man, the beginning of the genitals marks the middle of the man. The foot is the seventh part of the man. From the sole of the foot to below the knee will be the fourth part of the man. From below the knee to the beginning of the genitals will be the fourth part of the man. The distance from the bottom of the chin to the nose and from the roots of the hair to the eyebrows island in each case the same. And like the ear, a third of the face. Footnote, see place XVII. The original leaf is 21 centimeters wide and 33 one too long. At the ends of the scale below the figure are written the words tie fingers and palmy palms. The passage quoted from Vitruvius is book III, cap, 1, and Leonardo's drawing is given in the editions of Vitruvius by Fragio Siolandio Venezia 1511, Thul, Firenze 1513, 8 VO, and by CSARIA and Ocolmo 1521, the arm and head, 344, 345. From the tip of the longest finger of the hand to the shoulder joint is four hands or, if you will, four faces. A BC are equal and each interval is two heads. Footnote, 
Lines 1-3 are given on place XB below the front view of the leg. Lines 4 and 5 are below again. On the left side, the lettering refers to the bent arm near the text. 346. The hand from the longest finger to the wrist joint goes four times from the tip of the longest finger to the shoulder joint. 347. A BC are equal to each other and to the foot and to the space between the nipple and the navel D will be the third part of the whole man. FG is the fourth part of a man and is equal to GH and measures a cubit. 348. A B goes four times into a C and nine into a M. The greatest thickness of the arm between the elbow and the hand goes six times into a M and is equal to RF. The greatest thickness of the arm between the shoulder and the elbow goes four times into CM and is equal to HNG. The smallest thickness of the arm above the elbow XY is not the base of a square, but is equal to half the space 3 which is found between the inner joint of the arm and the wrist joint. The width of the wrist goes 12 times into the whole arm, that is from the tip of the fingers to the shoulder joint, that is 3 times into the hand and 9 into the arm. The arm when bent is 4 heads. The arm from the shoulder to the elbow in bending increases in length, that is in the length from the shoulder to the elbow and this increase is equal to the thickness of the arm at the wrist when seen in profile, and the space between the bottom of the chin and the parting of the lips, is equal to the thickness of the two middle fingers, and to the width of the mouth and to the space between the roots of the hair on the forehead and the top of the head footnote, quest echoes. This passage seems to have been written on purpose to rectify the foregoing lines. The error is explained by the accompanying sketch of the bones of the arm. All these distances are equal to each other but they are not equal to the above-mentioned increase in the arm. The arm between the elbow and wrist never increases by being bent or extended. The arm, from the shoulder to the inner joint when extended. When the arm is extended, PN is equal to NA. And when it is bent NA diminishes one-sixth of its length and PN does the same. The outer elbow joint increases one-seven when bent, and thus by being bent it increases to the length of two heads. And on the inner side, by bending, it is found that whereas the arm from where it joins the side to the wrist, was two heads and a half, in bending it loses the half head and measures only two, one from the shoulder joint to the end by the elbow, and the other to the hand, the arm when folded will measure two faces up to the shoulder from the elbow and two from the elbow to the insertion of the four fingers on the palm of the hand, the length from the base of the fingers to the elbow never alters in any position of the arm. If the arm is extended it decreases by one three of the length between and, and if being extended it is bent, it will increase the half of away the length from the shoulder to the elbow is the same as from the base of the thumb, inside, to the elbow BC footnote 62-64, the arm sketch on the margin of the miz is identically the same as that given below on place XX which may therefore be referred to in this place. In line 62 we read therefore ZC4 and N the smallest thickness of the arm in profile ZC goes 6 times between the knuckles of the hand and the dimple of the elbow when extended and 14 times in the whole arm and 42 in the whole. Man, the greatest thickness of the arm in profile is equal to the greatest thickness of the arm in front, but the first is placed at a third of the arm from the shoulder joint to the elbow and the other at a third from the elbow towards the hand. Footnote, compare place XVII. Lines 110 and 1115 are written into columns below the extended arm, and at the tips of the fingers we find the words, finding the ends of the nails. Part of the text lines 22 to 25 is visible by the side of the sketches on place XXXV. Number 1, 349. From the top of the shoulder to the point of the elbow is as far as from that point to the joints of the four fingers with the palm of the hand. 
and each is two faces, E is equal to the palm of the hand, RF and OG are equal to half a head and each goes four times into a B and BC, from two is one to a head, MN is one three of a head and goes six times into CB and into BA, a B loses one seven of its length when the arm is extended, CB never alters, will always be the middle point, between and, YL is the flashy part of the arm and measures one head, and when the arm is bent this shrinks to five of its length, OA in bending loses one six and so does OA B is one seven of our CFS will be, one eight of our C and each of those two measurements is the largest of the arm, KH is the thinnest part between the shoulder and the elbow and it is one eight of the whole arm RC, OP is one five of our L. CZ goes 13 times into RC. The movement of the arm 350-354-350. In the innermost bend of the joints of every limb the reliefs are converted into a hollow. And likewise every hollow of the innermost bends becomes a convexity when the limb is straightened to the utmost. And in this very great mistakes are often made by those who have insufficient knowledge and trust to their own invention and do not have recourse to the imitation of nature, and these variations occur more in the middle of the sides than in front, and more at the back than at the sides. 351. When the arm is bent at an angle at the elbow, it will produce some angle, the more acute the angle island the more will the muscles within the bend be shortened, while the muscles outside will become of greater length than before, as is shown in the example. DCE will shrink considerably, and BN will be much extended. 352. Of painting. The arm, as it turns, thrusts back its shoulder towards the middle of the back. 353. The principal movements of the hand are 10, that is forwards, backwards, to right and to left, in a circular motion, up or down, to close and to open, and to spread the fingers or to press them together. 354. Of the motions of the fingers. The movements of the fingers principally consist in extending and bending them. This extension and bending vary in manner, that island sometimes they bend altogether at the first joint, sometimes they bend, or extend, halfway, at the second joint, and sometimes they bend in their whole length and in all the three joints at once. If the two first joints are hindered from bending, then the third joint can be bent with greater ease than before, it can never bend of itself. If the other joints are free, unless all three joints are bent, besides all these movements there are four other principal motions of which two are up and down, the two others from side to side, and each of these is effected by a single tendon. From these there follow an infinite number of other movements always effected by two tendons, one tendon ceasing to act, the other takes up the movement. The tendons are made thick inside the fingers and thin outside, and the tendons inside are attached to every joint but outside they are not. Of the three tendons inside the fingers at the three joints, the movement of the torso 355-361-355. Observe the altered position of the shoulder in all the movements of the arm, going up and down, inwards and outwards, to the back and to the front, and also in circular movements and any others and do the same with reference to the neck, hands and feet and the breast above the lips and see. 356. Three are the principal muscles of the shoulder, that is BCD and two are the lateral muscles which move it forward and backward, that is O, moves it forward, and pulls it back, and bed raises it, a BC moves it upwards and forwards, and CDO upwards and backwards, its own weight almost suffices to move it downwards. The muscle acts with the muscle when the arm moves forward, and in moving backward the muscle acts with the muscle. Footnote, see place XXI.
In the original the lettering has been written in ink upon the red chalk drawing and the outlines of the figures have in most places been inked over. 357. Of the lines, when bent, the lines or backbone being bent, the breasts are always lower than the shoulder blades of the back. If the breastbone is arched the breasts are higher than the shoulder blades. If the lines are upright the breast will always be found at the same level as the shoulder blades. 358. Above the tendon and ankle in raising the heel approach each other by a finger's breadth, in lowering it they separate by a finger's breadth. Footnote, see place XXII. Number 2. Compare this facsimile and text with place III. Number 2. And page 152 of Manzi's edition, also with number 274 of Ludwig's edition of the Vatican copy. 359. Just so much as the part D of the nude figure decreases in this position so much does the opposite part increase, that is, in proportion as the length of the part D diminishes the normal size so does the opposite upper part increase beyond its normal size. The navel does not change its position to the male organ, and this shrinking arises because when a figure stands on one foot, that foot becomes the center of gravity of the superimposed weight. This being so, the middle between the shoulders is thrust above it out of its perpendicular line, and this line, which forms the central line of the external parts of the body, becomes bent at its upper extremity so as to be above the foot which supports the body, and the transverse lines are forced into such angles that their ends are lower on the side which is supported, as is shown at a BC 360, of painting, note in the motions and attitudes of figures how the limbs vary, and their feeling. For the shoulder blades in the motions of the arms and shoulders vary the line of the backbone very much. And you will find all the causes of this in my book of anatomy. 361. Of change of attitude. The pin of the throat is over the feet. And by throwing one arm forward the pin of the throat is thrown off that foot. And if the leg is thrown forward the pin of the throat is thrown forward. And, so it varies in every attitude. 362. Of painting. Indicate which are the muscles and which the tendons, which become prominent or retreat in the different movements of each limb, or which do neither but are passive, and remember that these indications of action are of the fur.